Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You've been lied to, but you don't know how. You've searched, you've struggled, you've cried out. You want the truth, but where is it? You've wandered, you've fought, you've strived, and you have not been satisfied. What is truth? Where is truth? Who is truth? The Kingdom of God, Mind Control, The Last Days, Higher Dimensions, Unity, The Power of Faith, Discovering the Truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. God has promised that he will hide us under his feathers and under his wings we will trust. His truth shall be our shield and our buckler. Discovering the Truth with Dan Devon is the premier program that is designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program is designed to show you how to become more than you have ever imagined through the power of truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And now, prepare for your host, Dan Duvall. You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. This show is designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program is a production of Bride Ministries, and you can find us at www.bridemovement.com. Folks, there's a lot of things going on right now, and it's really exciting. It's also a walk of faith. My wife and I, we're relocating. Um, do I know where I'm going to be living Two or three weeks from now? No. I have no idea. <laughs> we have a possibility, but a lot of things are up in the air. I'm not going to bore you with the details. What I will say is this. One, I'm not alone. You know what I've noticed is that God seems to be relocating quite a few people. Uh, cohorts of mine, people that I affiliate with, um, and others. You know, it's, it's just like this season. People are being moved around by the Lord. And my wife and I, well... We're among that group. It's just really fascinating to me. And I'm not sure exactly what the Lord is doing, but I do know that it's interesting timing based on these blood moons. Folks, There, many of you that listen to this program are aware that in 2014 and 2015, there are a series of blood moons. 
And um, we've been through three. The fourth is coming up in the fall. And in anticipation of that, here we have the Lord moving people all around, me, myself included. I don't know exactly what's coming, and I'm not going to, you know, declare myself as the prophet of the Lord and telling you uh, what is coming. But there's a lot of people out there that are making predictions on things that may be erupting in conjunction with that fourth blood moon in this nation. Um, some of the things I've heard include uh, financial problems, uh, war, uh, other issues that, that that are pretty significant. So, you know, with that said, I'm trusting the Lord, my wife, you know, we're trusting the Lord to move us into the right place, and uh, many others are as well, and underneath it all, God has a strategy, folks, and it's exciting to be a part of it. With that said, discipleship as an agenda through Bride Ministries has been postponed as a result of the relocation my wife and I are currently undergoing. We set a date for mid-June in one of my former programs as the target date for relaunching discipleship. That will happen if I am living in my new location in (laughs) mid-June. But that may not happen. So thank you for all of you that are praying for us. I believe that what's playing out right now in our lives is absolutely led, guided, and inspired by the Lord. And he's all over it. With that said, I can't make any personal guarantees on things that are not completely in my control. We will launch discipleship groups as soon as my wife and I are settled and living in the place that uh, we will be moving into, wherever that is. So uh, those of you that are on the waiting list, you know, be patient with us. And I look forward to relaunching these groups because they are just a blast and we learned so much. And so with that said, there's a couple other things I just want to rehash. You know, I, I, I get up on here and I say it every week because we're, we're casting vision, folks. We want to grow. We want to make an impact. It is our vision to promote unity in the body of Christ and assist in the creation and development of sheep nations. Those are end goals. There's a lot that comes in between. And One of those is the agenda to help people that have suffered from dissociative identity disorder due to mind control, satanic ritual abuse, and other crimes against humanity. Our organization is committed to being a solution for survivors that cannot afford to find their own help. And so we were putting together a team of DID coaches. We've done that. We're actually well into this agenda. Uh, And and, we have three. We're looking for more. We always have our eyes open. For those of you that may have stumbled upon this program and are doing this work, on our website, we actually have, under DID Coaching, a uh, basically an application. It's what we require as an organization in order to partner with people that are being used by the Lord in this ministry to help those that have dissociative identity disorder get delivered, get healed, get set free, get integrated. Um so that's there for you. You know, we're very public. We are looking for people to partner with that the Lord has already trained. When we can, we're going to be training people to do this. I've had people contact me. Daniel, I want to be trained. Well, <laughs> I want to train you. Uh, we're trying to figure out how, you know. And, uh, you know, so we're, we're really just caught up in this. We're working all these things out. You know, the thing is, I just launched all of this like three months ago. I mean, we're going so fast. I, I'm trying to figure out how to keep it all straight. But, you know, here we are. 
We are helping people right now. Five individuals, five individuals are being underwritten by Bride Ministries. Five. We're doing it. It's happening. And we're doing it because of the generosity of the listeners of this program. Because right now, Bride Ministries as an organization does not have corporate sponsorship. We don't have financial backing from other denominations or ministries at all. Everything that we are generating comes from the listener base of this program. And uh, this is how far we've gone. But we have a waiting list. We want to expand this. And how can we expand? Well, a major key is going to simply be the presence of the finances to expand because this costs our organization money. And so uh, (laughs) I want to thank every single one of you that has financially contributed to Bride Ministries. First of all, your generosity is astounding. Um, I also want to encourage those of you that have really received from this ministry and what we're doing to sow into this because we're trying to help people. We're trying to grow. We're, we're trying to make a bigger impact, and you can help. <laughs> you can help simply by sowing financial seed into what we're doing, visiting us at bridemovement.com and and making a, a contribution. We're also looking for people that are feeling led to partner with the organization in, in order to become a regular contributor to what we're doing. Just about everything we're doing, folks, is based on one-time gifts. We have people that come through, they drop a one-time gift. and our, I mean, the generosity of these one-time gifts has just blown my mind. It's, it's amazing. But it's really nice to know that there is a certain certain uh, amount that's coming in per month that's going to always be there. And it really helps when it comes to planning and uh, deciding how far to go and how fast to go there. So anyway, uh, if, if God is putting this on your heart, folks, all I want, want to invite you to do, visit us at bridemovement.com. Pray about it. Think about, you know, what are, are you led to help? Can you help? Um, we also need prayer capital, and we want to thank each and every one of you that pray for us. Oh, my goodness. We couldn't do what we're doing without your prayers. Uh, we need prayers. It's amazing. But God God has put prayer for us, my, my wife and I, the organization, what we're trying to do. On, on the hearts of people, I'm finding out all the time, people like, yeah, God has me praying for you, and, and I've never even met you personally or talk to you on the phone or and and i'm just thanking god that is a form of capital that we absolutely need and we thank you so much for that and um you know the 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 other thing ultimately we're 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 going to be needing human capital to expand again for did coaching we need the coaches We, we need to find you those of you that god has trained and equipped to do this work contact us apply to work with us um and so you know, link arms with us. And uh, the, the the other thing is that, you know, as we grow bigger, you know, we will need things like secretaries and CPA and people that can help us in, in all of these areas as well. So praise God for all of you that listen to this program, that have a spiritual connection with us, that listen to us regularly. And uh, I, I just look forward to all the things that God is, is, is doing in this season. And um, without dragging this on any further we're going to get into the interview today we have an awesome guest get ready to get a fire lit on the inside of you i'll just say that the the topic of our discussion deconstructing the reduced gospel you're listening to discovering the truth with dan duvall we'll be right back 
Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall, and today we're talking with a very special guest, Paul Tothill, and he is the senior pastor of Gateway Church in Adelaide, Australia. It was actually his wife that had initially gotten in touch with me to ask some questions about mind control programming and that whole area of discussion, but I had the opportunity last week to sit down and speak with Paul. We probably intended to be on the phone for maybe half hour to an hour. We talked, folks, for three hours before getting off, and we had a great time. Uh, We just talked about all kinds of things from the kingdom to uh, reformed theology, the gospel, signs, wonders, and miracles. And I said, you know, you just got to come on my program because we just got to, you know, chat and uh, let everyone else hear what we're talking about because this is great stuff. And so I invited him onto the program because he's a learned man of God, a ton of revelation. I believe he's going to bless you. You can check his church out at www.gatewaychurch.org.au because, yes, he is from Australia. Paul, welcome to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. Thank you, Dan. Great to be with you this morning. Well, it's great to have you here, Paul. And, uh, you know, we were having such a blast talking about so many things and, You are very passionate when we brought up the subject of Reformed theology. Now, Paul, I'm just going to make this very simple. What is the issue with Reformed theology? (laughs) Reformed theology, um, firstly, let me say, there's wonderful, wonderful teachings as part of Reformed theology. And there's some very learned men that I deeply respect that um, adopt that paradigm, that framework of understanding the scriptures. Um, But it is an incomplete uh, understanding, I I want to suggest respectfully, because when we start to see Reformed theology through the lens of the gospel of the kingdom, we start to see some limitations that has been imposed on the scripture and um, actually reads down the scripture and limits the scripture in a way that, um, for me at least, puts us into a box uh, and puts things off into a future where Jesus clearly was intending that we would step into a reality uh, of things now. Mm. Wait, so you sound like me because I've been saying, like, folks, I have a big problem because <laughs> I'm always talking about the kingdom, Paul. And what I realize that the kingdom means is that there are kingdom promises God intends for us to walk in now that are unbelievable. As a matter of fact, doesn't the Bible say that? Uh, I has not seen nor has ear heard the things which the Lord has prepared for them that love him. And, That's right. and, and, and it also says that in the book of Hebrews chapter 6, there shall be some that walk in uh, things that are of the age to come. Now. <laughs> you know, there, there's so much, I think, that uh, we lose if we begin to push certain promises into the future. But why don't you take a little bit of time and explain to our audience what it means to push promises into the future that really should be focused on now? For sure. I, I think the first thing we have to do when we approach the teaching of reform, uh, reform theology is to understand its genesis. Where did it come from? What was the response? Um, and what was the development? And once you sort of locate that, you can, you can really see that um, out of the dark ages, there was a push, um, of course, that uh, faith was done by works alone. And there were various reasons historically why that took place. But when we start to see the Reformation that came through and we understood that salvation was by grace 
through faith, not works. That became the, the centerpiece, if you will, the foundational platform from which uh, a lot of reform thinking came through and was developed uh, over the years. One of the things that reform theology struggles with is our identity in Christ. Therefore, the promises of the kingdom we're able to inherit now and then what we're actually able to develop and release by entering to a faith confidence uh, that Hebrews clearly talks about, which is a present reality. Ooh. What I'm, what I'm, if I can say this, Daniel, what I want to be clear about is that we are, I'm not suggesting the fullness of the kingdom now. I'm saying that the kingdom is at hand, that the kingdom and the king has come in Jesus Christ. And he said the kingdom was fully available and at hand, which means that it's accessible. And he brought us back to a place where we could access the very reality that he was living in as a mature son of God. And this is the great promise that many theologians have started to revisit. And so there are a lot of um, reformed theologians that have reinvigorated um, themselves to say, hey, we understood Jesus in birth. We understood Jesus in death. We understood Jesus in resurrection, but what we missed was Jesus in life. And once we revisit Jesus in life, we understand that he carried a message of the fullness of the gospel. The message he carried, ironically, was not the message that's been reduced in Reformed theology of the message of just salvation. It was a bigger message. And so what they discovered in that journey was that Reformed theology had gone to Paul as the greater revelator than even Jesus. And in doing so, they had shrunk the gospel to a message simply about, am I saved? Are we saved? Our salvation. Of course, our salvation is crucial. It's, it's very important. But it, it causes us to enter into something, join ourselves to something, that we may manifest that grace reality through our life by faith. And what it does then is it, it if we don't understand the proper context, we don't understand the proper message, hmm. then we, we just simply put Jesus as a savior. But he was more than a savior. He was the model servant king that came to show us how to live life in and through the Holy Spirit, the promised grace gift that Paul so threads through everything of his writing of the New Testament. And that's why Paul writes about it. He can't believe that this old model that ended with uh, John the baptizer, there is a new model now in Jesus Christ of born-again believers that live from a different reality into this world. They live from the age to come, the kingdom, into this present age, this this age of darkness, this age of the spirit of the world. My so it's, goodness. It, it's, quite, it's quite an important shift we need to understand. Now, see, folks, this is why I have Paul on my program. Now, Paul, I need to ask you a question. All right. I'm struggling because my church told me that after I got saved, I'm a no good, worthless sinner that needs to continue to beat my chest and complain at God about my moral defamation and my lack, my total lack of ability to please God with anything I can do ever. Now, are you saying that there is an identity crisis that's going on with that philosophy? I, I believe so. I, I believe that there is an identity crisis when we are kept below the cross, 
that we have to each week come to the cross to find a savior that we've already found, to find a life that we've already been given. And for me, Paul speaks clearly. He says the cross is powerful. Yes, we need to understand the power, the dimension of the cross, what it really stands for. But it's a delivery point out of an old paradigm, out of an old uh, living, a bondage to the spirit of this world, and brings us through the cross, clearly brings us through the cross, into a place of spiritual authority and government in Christ. And that phrase, in Christ, is the key point of Paul's teaching because it represents the very life that Jesus was living. Jesus gave us an amazing promise. He said the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, the greatest person of the Old Testament, was John the baptizer who was heralding Jesus, the coming king. But he said, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater in capacity than even the greatest prophet, John. Mm. That tells something that there is a recreation, a new creation model that we have not properly understood. Paul, and sorry, you are nailing it. No, please don't apologize. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I've been saying, look, what is our problem? We go in the Old Testament, we look at Elijah, and we say, wow, he raised the dead, called down fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice, shamed the devil. He, I mean, and then we're like, Wow, if only we could be like Elijah. <laughs> but Elijah wasn't on John the Baptist's level. And John the Baptist wasn't on the level of those that have entered into Christ through his finished work at the cross. Correct. So, why? I, well, I'm confused, Paul, because... See, this wasn't getting preached to me when I was in church. <laughs> Why not? Well, I can't speak for the, for the men, but I think generally it was accepted <laughs> um, through through the orthodoxy um, of of a reformed theology that we we would basically uh, be sinners covered in the blood, and so there was an identity crisis, almost a schizophrenia that we suffered because. We both had the grace of God, the love of God, but we didn't understand where we were reconciled to to become sons of God. We didn't understand that, so we didn't understand what it really meant to be born again. Hmm. Uh, That is sort of pushed off to the side. It's not really discussed. All the language of Paul in Corinthians about being born again, the old is gone, the new has come. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. There's that phrase again. There is... There is an awakening, there is a there is a regeneration that joins us in the spirit realm to the very heart of God. We are joined in the spirit realm, entwined, tethered to Jesus. We are in him, and he is in the Father, John 17. Therefore, we are multidimensional in the realms of the spirit, joined into the kingdom which is within us. This truth is so profound that we can't understand it with an earthly reconciliation of thought. But to the people of the day of Jesus, they were waiting for a coming king. Now, they were looking for a political kingdom, but Jesus uses the parallel of a political kingdom to the spiritual kingdom. 
and the spiritual kingdom is breaking in to the political kingdom of the world and it's overcome the spirit of death this is so profound at the cross mm. jesus broke in mm. i'm getting passionate now jesus mm. broke in with signs wonders and miracles to bring demonstrations of the exousia authority, the government of heaven, and the dunamis, the spirit of counsel and might of God, breaking in to release people from darkness, to release people from the spirit of this age. And the spirit of this age is the spirit of death. So when Jesus comes to the cross, he just doesn't die. He overcomes not just death physically, but the spirit of death. He judges for all time at the cross the spirit of death. He says, Satan, you have been judged. The courts of heaven have sat before the foundation of the earth. I'm executing that which has been determined. I'm bringing it to the judgment stake. Hmm. And I'm causing my body to become the sacrifice, not just for man, but to end your rule and reign through the spirit of the air of this age. And my kingdom will continue to break in because I'm going to raise up a people reconciled back to the heart of the Father in me that they may know their true identity. Because we can't be sons unless we know our Father. Come on. She's Wait, no, no, Jesus. Paul, Paul, hold on, hold on, hold on. According to some of the teaching I got, you can be a son if you don't know the Father. Because the Father doesn't want anything to do with you. He doesn't even like you. He loves you. Oh, come on. You're not preaching hard us. enough, brother. <laughs> he, see, he, he, he loved us, it, it, and and this is the point. It, 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 he just doesn't have hasn't come for the church. He's come for the world. Mm. He has come for all creation. Mm. He has come for everything that has been damaged by that which is not of him. And and he has come and he's brought himself. I mean, is there greater love? Mm. That God, that, that Jesus, the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, says, "I'll go. I'll come and rescue." I'll come and bring forward your love, your justice, your kingdom, and I will create a place to reconcile all humanity for all time back into your heart, the place of true identity, the place of true relationship, the place of true empowered love and faith to live how humanity was always meant to live. My goodness. You know, Paul, <laughs> we have a discipleship series through Bride Ministries. Now, we, we start off with grace. And, you know, I introduce grace to everyone that comes through our discipleship as four things. Unmerited favor, divine influence upon the heart, uh, the finished work, and God's ability. And when we begin to study grace from that perspective, it explodes. And we realize that, you know, grace is God's ability to live his life through us on the earth, um, which connects us also to his resources and his person. The next stage is the in Christ phase. And, and this is the most amazing thing. You know, Paul, if I go in my house and I say, look at me, and I, I'm like calling you on your phone, but I'm in my house, and you go to look at me, you don't see me. You see the house that I've entered. You know, you know a lot of Christians, they say, well, God can't possibly love me or give give me his realm interdimension. What are you talking about, Paul? You know, a God can't love me because I just gross and I've done really bad things I tell people who is God looking at when the father goes to judge you he sees something he sees the one whom you've entered into because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 130 
through 31. But of him you are in Christ Jesus. You know, that mystery that Jesus Christ is a realm that we inhabit changes everything. When we go into Jesus and God goes to look at us, it's like me going in my house. When you look at that, when you go to look at me, you see the house. When God goes to look at us, he sees Jesus. And so the Bible says he's become for us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. So well, we, I think we've got to pick up, we've got to pick up um, Hebrews there oh. because Hebrews says the most mystifying thought, okay. which is creates tension for for many, many theologians and, and pastors if we don't understand it correctly. It says you are perfect even as you're being made perfect. Ooh. Okay, There's what does that mean? dimensional reality. You are perfect even as you're being made perfect. Wow. See, there's a, there is a reality of who you are before God the Father at the throne of grace, and there is a reality of who you're becoming before man on earth. Mm. You're living from the inside out through the renewing of your mind to the actual reality of who you are before the Father. When you determine who you are before the Father, your life will manifest. You'll enter into God's rest. You'll enter into his fullness because you understand that you're loved as a son, a dearly loved child. And you'll get onto the process of maturity through the renewing of your mind, the empowering grace that then causes you to be energized into your true identity that you'll now learn to manifest before man on earth. Okay, Paul, I'm still stuck. My pastor told me (laughs) I am a no good worthless sinner but I've been saved for five years what am I supposed to do with that if that's not really my identity well I think you've always got to shape uh, your identity through the relationship with the Holy Spirit and understanding the revelation of Scripture. I think we can honor our pastors, even if they're mistaken, firstly, because nobody's perfect. But what we have to do is find who we are in Christ. We have, it's really important because that's the leading of the Holy Spirit. Part of, part of the process of John 13 to John 17 in, in the apostolic teaching to the forefathers of the early church was clearly that there would be a unity, there would be a reconciliation, there would be a revelation of who we really are. Hmm. It had to start first with the apostles, but it was meant to then go through the whole church. And so what we do to find our true identity is we go to God. We can't find our true identity first in man. That's the point. Man lives by a system of the world, by the prince of the air, and where we haven't recognized ourselves as being a spiritual orphan, You see, we become spiritual orphans the moment we're detached from the heart of God. The true first spiritual orphan is Satan himself. Mm. Satan's design was to to worship God from the internal realm of God, according to the Scripture. He was made as an instrument. He was to offer sacrifice of praise. His very dynamic was to be in and out of the heart of the Father and to worship Him in that way. We've been reconciled in Jesus Christ— to come into the place he has been permanently removed from. Wow. Paul. That's why he wants to tell you, you're just an orphan like everyone else. Are you saying that it is a lie that when we come to Jesus Christ and the Bible says we have received the gift of righteousness, we are still sinners at that point before God? Not before God. Mm. 
If you're a sinner still before God, at that point that you've accepted the complete and finished work of Jesus as your perfect substitute, then the cross is nullified of its power. Oh! You know, I, I was really waiting for you to, to drop the hammer like that. I, I just love it. I, just, <laughs> I mean, I, I felt like the thud of that hammer just like, boom. <laughs> Smash that to pieces. Paul, what I have realized is that if we don't get identity right, we will never experience the kind of relationship with God he wants us to have with him because our identity will always obstruct our access. Our... No, you're going to say Correct. something. Identity, there are three core values we need in life and we're shaped for from the very beginning. Identity, relationship, and purpose. Mm. Those core qualities uh, cannot be fully sustainable in a fallen world because of the spirit that is over the world, which is a spirit of death. So the spirit of death works on identity as an orphan. It works on provision in lack. So relationships are based on fear, not love, divine love. When we can come to the Father, knowing that we have made reconciliation, we have peace with him. See, that is the power of the cross that God is now at peace with us. He's not angry with us. He's a loving dad, glad that we've come home. He wants us to live from his heart in close, intimate quarters, to rest in him. Hebrews talks about this. And to flow from him in the life of that love, knowing, reassured, that we are dearly loved and we are the beloved. And from that foundation, which everything of the kingdom rests on, his justice, his righteousness, everything rests from, then we are able to carry forward something greater into ourself, into our relationships, and into our purposes. Paul says, it's not faith that compels me, but love that compels me. What love? Divine love. When you know that, when you've been baptized into the love of the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit sheds abroad the Father's love in our hearts. When we know that, when we know we're truly adopted as sons, Romans 8, then what happens is we know there's a suffering because there's a world that's going to collide against the reality we carry in our hearts by faith. Look at that. Okay. Paul. What is a reduced gospel? Okay, I'm glad you asked. What what happens when we move through a reformed historical approach? We elevate Paul through Romans and we emphasize simply a gospel of salvation. What happens is that becomes dislocated from its true context, which is the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus taught. And so there's an interesting principle that Jesus said. He said, no Talmudin, which is the Hebrew there, no disciple is greater than his master, his rabbi. So Paul, who submitted to Christ, can never preach another truth that's greater than the truth that Jesus taught. He is subject to, he can't be a greater revelation than Jesus because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Yes. He was a sinless, perfect man manifesting fully the revelation, Hebrews tells us this, of the unseen God. He was bringing forward the perfect revelation, the perfect theology of the kingdom. So when we reduce our gospel to just salvation and we ignore 
Everything that Jesus taught, demonstrated, and showed us the spiritual principles of the kingdom, the spiritual principles, because we've got to see what the Sermon on the Mount was really about. It was a shift. It was a fundamental shift. Now, Paul simply relanguages that fundamental truth. Why? Because he's a Talmudan of Jesus. He, in law, we understand a legal principle works like this. A river can never rise higher than its source. In other words, everything is subject to its legitimate authority from which it comes. Paul himself says he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. No man taught me this but Jesus himself in resurrection. The truth of Jesus in resurrection is the same as the truth of Jesus on earth. Mm -hmm. And so when we don't carry that breadth and depth and context forward, we come into a reduced gospel. The problem with a reduced gospel is you now misunderstand salvation. You misunderstand grace. You misunderstand mission. You misunderstand purpose because it all collapses into a reduced form. And that's unfortunately where the church has been living. What is exciting, conversely, is that in the last 20, 30 years, there's been a lot of scholars in the rediscovery of Jesus movement to re-question the life of Jesus and say, hey, he's a prototype of what man can live reconciled to the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God, doing amazing things. Hence, Jesus could say the most amazing thing that he had to use an oath phrase, truly, truly. Why would Jesus, who speaks truth, say truly, truly? Because he knew he wouldn't believe it. <laughs> he says, truly, truly, things I do, even greater things will you do. I'm paraphrasing. Can you believe it? Jesus foresaw a generation, a people, a church doing greater things than he did. Why? Because he was going to the Father and he was going to send the promised same Holy Spirit same reality he was living by, and he was going to put it in you and I. Paul, my experience in Christianity, <clears throat> I speak facetiously, <laughs> by the way, has been go to church and fall asleep, get my butt kicked of the devil five out of seven days in the week, and pray five minutes a day. I don't understand what you're saying. Are you saying that God has more for me than that? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I, we, we are to become, the church is not just a community. It, 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 it needs to be that community. We need to have relationship, but we need to redeem the language of community. We need to redeem the language of what it is to have a healthy relationship. We need to redeem some of these values um, that were understood by the early church, but are no longer understood by the modern church. Because everything has fallen, everything's become fractured. And so we have to be careful of our language. But I believe a community, a dynamic spiritual community that's working together, that uh, connected in Jesus Christ, as Paul foresees in Ephesians, can be powerfully built up to become an empowered, free, loving, purposeful people that when they come together, they, they don't have time to sleep because it, they're encountering Jesus because of their praise, because of their faith because they're learning how to become supernatural royalty on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, supernatural royalty? What does that mean, Mr. Tothill? <laughs> Very simply is that the order Melchizedek and, and God, all through Scripture, he's looking for a royal priesthood. And, and, and everyone becomes a priest. So we, 
again, language and, and history of church has created division and dichotomy and, and separation of things that God doesn't separate. And so until we're willing to come out of the Old Testament pattern of priesthood, to come into the New Testament pattern of priesthood, we won't understand how powerful we are called to be, not just as sons, but as a royal priesthood offering sacrifices of praise. Our worship is our breakthrough. Our praise is because God loves us. And we want to magnify that which is dwelling within us. We want to sing songs of praises. We we want to open our gates because we're a gate between worlds. We're interdimensional. We're both of the age to come within us, breaking through into this present age. Paul, that's what I've been saying. I've been sorry. I'm trying to tell people this. I'm always, I'm like, you do not understand that you are a walking portal to heaven, Christian. The Bible compares the New Testament, Christian, to the Old Testament temple. And the glory of the Lord would manifest in that temple once a year. As a matter of fact, in the story of Solomon, when he dedicated the temple, the cloud pushed the priests out. They couldn't even minister because of the cloud. That is what God creates in us. We are that temple. And he is ruling out of us. He is expanding his kingdom out of us from our hearts to the hearts of those that are surrounding us. He is gaining influence or he would like to. <laughs> it seems like everybody closed the door. <laughs> yeah. And, and Daniel, what's so exciting is that the Psalms foreshadow this new order of priesthood. It foreshadows a temple that doesn't look like Moses' tabernacle, that doesn't look like all the glory of Solomon's tab uh, tabernacle and temple. What it looks like is David's fallen tabernacle. The, the apostles get a revelation. Peter gets a revelation in the book of Acts. Hey, this is what God's doing. He's restoring David's fallen tabernacle. And we see something so exciting that David restores the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, and he brings it to Mount Zion. But he he's allowed to build in an old covenant. Look at this. This is amazing. In the old covenant, he is able to put the old order on Mount Gibeon, but he builds the new order on Mount Zion. And the new order of Mount Zion no longer has an outer court. It no longer has only the priest going into the most holy place. It's a place where people worship 24-7. Everyone can come into the presence of God. Can you imagine that reality in an Old Testament temple priesthood? It was radical, but it was the future. It was a future grace that broke in, and it was temporary until the apostles built the church in the order of the fallen tabernacle of David. Because that kind of worship with everyone worshiping in brings forward the government of the kingdom over a city, over your lives, over your family, over your region, that you ascend to become what Jesus said would be an ecclesia. That's a governmental word. It's a political uh, assembly that is designed to make decisions for cities. <laughs> that's right um that's absolutely right ecclesia the word for church actually means a governmental body that makes because they would sit at the gates of the city and it would be all Correct. the city elders and they would make decisions that was that was the ecclesia Correct. so jesus took that word and put it on us but yep. 
Um, I mean, how, how, how does my church make a decision for a city? Well, easy. Because you all all have access to the heart of God. You all have access. And some will play a different role because of gift sets and and leadership. But the blueprints for heaven, for a city, are all available. We just have an eyes. Are you saying God has, it actually has a plan (laughs) for cities and for communities? (laughs) He's not just randomly just letting everything fire off like it's chaos? Sure, he is in. He make no mistake. He is the king over all things, seen and unseen. Wow. And therefore, he is using us as his outpost pioneers to bring forward that which is in the heavenly realm and cause it to be established on earth. That's why it's apostolic sent ones. An apostolic community is what he builds in the New Testament. That hasn't changed because it picks up the very mandate of Genesis of what Adam and Eve were commissioned to do. Matthew 28, 18 is a restatement of the Genesis commission. Nothing's changed. God's plan will continue. There is a meta-narrative that is being outworked, and God will outwork it. It's foreshadowed in the eschatological books and writings of Revelation, of Joel, of Daniel. The plan is there, and our job is to inquire daily Hey, what do you want us to do? What's the blueprints today? Why? Because you love us. You're for us. We've got an assignment to do. You've given us the resources of heaven to get it done. I know we're going to have some trouble because we've got to overcome the world. But I rejoice that you've overcome the world. You've defeated the spirit of death at the cross. There's nothing that can contain us. We've just got to walk by faith, by your grace, by your provision, and outwork the government that you've given us to carry. My goodness. But... So are you saying I should really be a royal priest walking the earth as a portal that joins two realms and lives out of the resources of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Well, I am. And I'm saying, (laughs) why would you want to keep sinning? Because it messes you up with the reality you can carry. That's not who you are. You're just no longer a sinner. You've got to start to see yourself how God sees you. And as you start to see yourself how God sees you, your life becomes transformed. Because you're beholding Him and you love Him. And and what you behold, you become. It's a spiritual law. What you behold, you become. As a man thinks in his heart, then so is he. That's what you'll manifest. So if we keep telling the body of Christ... That the power of the cross is null and effect it is not effective. It actually didn't do what Jesus said it would do, what the Father said it would do in his divine wisdom. That somehow man's understanding is not as good or level or equal to God's wisdom. We have to adjust to God's wisdom. Okay. All right. Here's the thing. Um you said earlier that I can get my blueprints from heaven. <laughs> I find it so funny that you use that word because I use that word. And, okay. <laughs> you know, okay, but let me, I'm, I'm breaking character right now. Paul. <clears throat> God does not speak to man today. He gave us the Bible, which is the word of God. That's all he had to say for this age. Uh, yeah, no. So I get. <laughs> That's why John 10 clearly says that the sheep know my voice. 
Hebrews actually says, now God speaks through the voice, the sound of his son as revelation. <laughs> That's a work of the spirit. God's speaking to us all the time. We've got to learn how to tune in to his spiritual language to us. And it's unique for every one of us. He Can he speak through the word? Yes. Can he speak through enlightenment of the word? Yes. But can he speak to our heart? Yes. See, Paul, the problem is if Christians don't think that God can give them blueprints for today, blueprints for their community, for their family, let's just start with family, blueprints for their family. Their family is in chaos. It's falling to pieces. They don't believe that God can give them blueprints for the healing of their specific situation. It's very hard to walk in partnership with God's resources. It's basically figure it out yourself. Here's a book that'll give you some guidelines. There is a major breakdown, in my opinion, when people omit the reality that God speaks and he speaks to us. He speaks to specific situations. He speaks to specific circumstances. And he has specific resources for our point of need. And, Absolutely. But the church is trained to not use this. Yeah, that's right. And 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 it is it, it, there is something of a shift that's now taking place. And you know, I, look, I love the church, and and I honor every leader. I really, really do, and 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 a lot of a lot of leaders are doing their level best. But and, and until we're willing ourselves as leaders to plug in to the reality, to press into the scriptures, to ask the Holy Spirit, not the traditions of man, but to ask the Holy Spirit to start to enlighten the scripture, show us the heartbeat of God, and for us ourselves to learn how to become intimate in the presence of God then we won't come in to the reality of what Hebrews clearly talks to us about. Hebrews clearly talks that we can enter in to the heart of God knowing with certainty that he will be faithful. Mm. What does that mean? Mm. It means he's faithful to speak. Mm. He's faithful to love. He's faithful to give. He's faithful to protect. He's, fa he's El Shaddai. Wow. He's Psalm 91. He is my rock. He is my salvation. He's my short place. He's my hiding place. He's my protector. He's my provider. I can cast all my anxieties on the high priest, Jesus, who understands what it is to be human, what it is to be in a world that's going wrong. He overcame the world. He knows, and he's petitioning. Not only can I hear, but I have a high priest, my own personal high priest. The church has a high priest called Jesus in resurrection. It's a seeding for us constantly, day and night. That is the picture of love, of provision, of the kingdom, of confidence that we can have. Well, now I'm confused. I, 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 have you started preaching yet? Or are you still warming up? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> You're in the green zone, man. Uh, this is this this is really great. I, I, I'm having a blast. So so we, we 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 branched off, right? We were talking about you. You, you were helping me. I'll back off if you want. No, 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 no. <laughs> you were helping me to understand the problems of a reduced gospel, and yep. you know, I, I would summarize it as this: a reduced gospel 
trains the church to ignore its resources. Instead of laying hold of everything that God has for us by faith, we determine in our hearts boundaries that God did not set. (laughs) And when we do this, when we do this, we are cutting ourselves off at the ankles. And it is about time for the church to upgrade and begin to be equipped with the truth of God's kingdom. I mean, it is oh, this thing so 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 heavy on my heart, which is why I'm glad you're preaching it. Because <laughs> now we we Paul, we need to go into something else. All right. What are your feelings about dispensationalism? Mm. <laughs> Thorny topic. My thoughts uh, about dispensationalism is um, very, very simple. It is inappropriate to create segments of narrative and divide them up and say within a covenant or a narrative, God uh, can only do this or can only do that. And what we have to do, I believe, is approach the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and see what's called the meta-narrative. What's the overarching storyline that is continually being outworked? And when you start to understand the storyline, the redemptive storyline, to bring forward that which has been lost, uh, to reestablish that which has been lost, to to, when you see you, you, you start in a garden and you end in a garden, you start with a promise and a commission. You see it fulfilled in, in Revelation. And in between, there is a garden of Gethsemane, a garden of suffering, which, which returns everything. We've got to understand what, what Jesus said when he said, it is finished. We've got to understand what, what John is talking about and why he uses Genesis as the opening stanza of his very systematic gospel. It's not like the synoptic gospels. It's a very systematic gospel. It is bringing the reality of there's a new creation. There is a shift. The New Testament is a new start. It is a new start. Mm. There is some continuity. There's some discontinuity. But what we can't do, in my opinion, is we cannot create this idea that there's sensation. Because if you get into dispensationalism, you get into the sensationalist where we say, hey, no more apostles, no more prophets. Ooh. There's no more gifts. There's no things that built the early church all done. The only way God would withdraw it is that we've already reached perfection. Now, <laughs> we have not reached perfection. Ephesians 4.11 clearly tells us what that, that perfection looks like. So to say that there is a dispensation, to say that things are finished when we've only just begun, cannot be right as a matter of logic, as a thinking person. It cannot be right if you study Scripture. And it cannot be right where you see constantly, despite a covenant, I gave you the example earlier, David was permitted to have a future grace in an Old Testament reality. What? How does dis- dispensationalism explain that? You can't. <laughs> how was it possible under the dispensational model that David was able to walk in a New Testament reality, revelation and engagement through worship in the Psalms? Everything he talks about is both what is and is what is to come. How did he access that? Under dispensationalism. It 
it it doesn't make sense. Even when Jesus was addressing the scribes and the uh, leaders, he he said that the kingdom is going to be taken from you and given to a nation producing the fruits thereof. One of the reasons why is because you neither enter nor suffer those that are trying to enter in. It's, you know, so what are we talking about? This is blend. It's not, you know, it's not the static state, static state, static state that we're moving through in the Bible. There is a cohesion there. And yes, wow. Let's come back to one of the points you made just a little bit ago. Jesus said the works that I do, you will do, and greater works also because I go to the Father. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> that means that when Hebrews says that those who partake of the powers of the age to come, it's talking about people who, like David, reach into a future, can we call it age, like the Bible calls it, and pull back operational realities into this one, just like David reached into this one and pulled it back into his it's this is what god laid out before you know what you know what psalm 23 says i will set a table before you in the midst of your enemies what god set before us is so amazing that when we begin to dine at that table all the demons and principalities of hell can do is sit back and watch in disgust as we fellowship with god in that place um wow uh Okay, I'm sorry. You got me preaching. This is your fault. (laughs) But you're preaching too hard. Now now it's contagious. I'm catching that fire. (laughs) Paul, uh, okay. (laughs) Dispensationalism. I mean, were you at any point in time a dispensationalist? No. No, what What I always understood from the very early days... And when I considered how dispensationalists would approach things, I there's a, a guy called Goldsworthy, an Australian uh, scholar, and he beautifully talks about the meta narrative. And he talk, so I cut my teeth on those things. So I, I, when I looked at dispensationalism, it, it didn't create the flow and the continuity and discontinuity that a meta narrative does. So let me explain meta-narrative. It simply means the overarching storyline of all history of God's redemptive plan. So when you come up to that level, you'll find that there are many, many levels below it. What dispensationalism does, it sits at too low a level and so therefore misunderstands the big picture. Mm. And so it, it constructs itself within limitations as segments through a journey. But if you come up, if you will, if you bring your thinking up and you see from the overlying storyline, you see you, you can't hold it at that level. It's just simply incomplete. And and what's incomplete brings misinterpretation and misunderstanding. And so we have to come up to the level at which God understands it. And this is the truth of Isaiah 61. The truth of Isaiah 61 is that Jesus began something the church is to finish. It is about the restoration process, which is the we join in as co-laborers into the meta-narrative of God's redemptive plan. Amen. How's that? Mm. You can't do that as a dispensationist, in my opinion. My biggest problem with dispensationalism, besides the pre-trib rapture, yes, folks, I still am not a pre-trib rapture preacher. Never will be. 
Um, besides that, which rubs me wrong, is the excitement of the gospel of the kingdom. They 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 take it out. It's it's like literally written out of the theology, and we are left with this reductionist gospel. And okay, yeah. let's talk about what gets written out: signs, wonders, and miracles. Paul, have you ever? I mean, in your whole life, okay, because you're talking some big game now. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah. Have you ever, in your whole life, seen a sign, a wonder, or a miracle? Yeah, plenty of them. <laughs> plenty of them. We, we've. Um... No, wait, wait. Before you embellish us, do you think that this may just may have something to do with your faith and belief in them? Yeah, I think I think it's a bit of a circular argument, but I do think so. That I, I, I think what happened. The process for me mm-hmm. was that I started engaging the scriptures, and I started really saying. Well, what was going on? What kind of thing was breaking forward? And I looked at the journey in particular of of Israel coming out of bondage and into the promised land. And I saw God doing these amazingly sovereign things. They were completely sovereign. Um, And he was just breaking in. He was just the kingdom was breaking in. He was showing his faithfulness. He was showing who he was. But all of that was designed to renew their mind because they needed faith to possess the promise when they came in to the promised land. And the difficulty was that without faith, so they worked together, that's what I'm saying. So God broke in to build their faith to trust him, but they kept projecting onto God the Father the culture in their heart that was of Egypt. Hmm. You see, this is the picture of a believer. We continue to project on God the heart of the system we've been under. The system we've been under is an illegal authority. And so we project that authority paradigm onto God. And we say, God behaves just like Pharaoh. He's a slave driver. He doesn't love me. He's not for me. He's And so fear comes up. And this is best demonstrated in Numbers 13. When the 12 go in, here's God saying, hey, I'm going to give you a future glimpse. I'm going to put a, a, a portion of the future reality of the promise in your hand. Only two could recognize it. Ten did not, Mm. and they, through fear, thought God had brought them out to die because there was a combination of the promise and an overcoming. Mm. All they saw was the the giants in the land, and they saw themselves as too small. You see, if you don't get your identity right, if you don't get reconciliation with the Father right, if you don't actually know He loves you and He's for you, you won't be an overcomer as you possess the promise that's at hand. So, so important. I need so you to, like, rip... This. Signs <laughs> of wonders are crucial to renew our mind of the possibilities of God. So what started happening, I was reading Deuteronomy chapter 8. I was sitting in my study, and I was longing for more. I said, Lord, this is not it. I read your Bible. I want to bring my life to the standard of your word. I don't want to bring the standard of your word down to my life. That's what we do. I want to bring my life up. Why? Because God says to me, your thoughts are not my thoughts and my ways are not what your ways. So I want to bring God wants to bring our ways and our thoughts up to him. 
in a way that we can manage. So he has to renew our mind. He has to break in. So as I'm reading, gold and silver chunks started to appear in my Bible. Wow. I mean, what do I do with that? I've never had that. I'm a I'm trained as a lawyer. It was smashing my grid. And God then started to to uh, take us to meetings where people said, oh, you've got to be careful when you go there because such and such, they do funny things. Well, we now think that's all very normal. But to them, it just seemed radical. But it wasn't really radical. I was just being faithful. <laughs> and we went to a meeting in Adelaide where um, because of the presence of God, I started to get taken into encounters. Uh, things started to happen. I mean, in our church, what broke out after that was phenomenal. People were falling out of their chairs. I was just speaking. We would have gold dust now what that looks like is like dirt but gold um sometimes it could be translucent in translucent in small amounts sometimes in greater amounts and this gold fell into the spine of a bible of a lady who was known in our church to be something of a gospel gossip and i use this as a wonderful teaching you say signs and wonders are not because of us they're revealing god they are to get our focus off of ourselves and onto him and see the possibilities that are at hand. And this gold was an inch wide in the spine of her Bible. And she ran out the front during this meeting. And I said, okay, for those who haven't experienced this, for those who are skeptical about this, come out and touch this material, this matter that we couldn't explain. Could not explain, completely supernatural. And as the church, the skeptics came and put their finger along that spine in this material, we call it gold dust, for want of a better word. As that happens, they remove the product and it increases in front of our eyes. Wow. We would have ladies in our church where oil would start to come over their hands. There would be feathers fall. There was one meeting I ministered to in New Zealand. There were gemstones that started to appear. I mean, these kinds of things were the signs and wonders. They weren't based so much on uh, me, my righteousness, or my goodness. None of that. It was based sovereignly on God to say, hey, you've got to start renewing your mind. Anything's possible. Mm. And so we saw, saw the signs pointed to God, not to us, but it renewed our mind, built our faith, we started to say, God, you are the God of the impossible. You are the God of the breakthrough. And that's so signs and wonders are there to point us to him. Mm. 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 Renew our mind. To possess the kind of faith it is to possess the kingdom and its realities. So you're telling my audience that you have <laughs> seen gold dust materialize as well as feathers, yep. gemstones. Yep. This has happened, and you are witness to it. Correct. Let me ask you a question. For all the skeptics out there, did okay. your wife see it too? My, <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I, I'm a lawyer by training. I understand what a witness needs to do, and I understand what a testimony is. And, mm -hmm. and I understand the government of heaven that you, you, you don't need to make anything up when God's moving. You... It, 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 look, I had my grid absolutely shifted. I had no explanation. I saw it. I, I couldn't even talk about it. Uh, and that year, people all around the world were skeptical. Hmm. And I went to one place in uh, Durban, South Africa, and I spoke about what had been breaking out. 
And um, I, I want to tell you a story here for quickly. That this man, as I explained what God was teaching me, because he took me to the Psalms and he showed me the Psalms, and he says what his church is covered with is gold and silver. And he spoke to me about as I wrap you in your in your feathers, your pinions, as I wrap you in my feathers, all of these symbolic prophetic language in Psalms, uh, God, the Holy Spirit was teaching me through to get an understanding of what the Father was revealing to me. When I spoke about this, when I invariably when I speak about this stuff, and they're skeptics, there was a man who had his daughter was in intensive care. She had been involved in an accident, was rushed. In intensive care, in a pure clinical sterile area, he was sitting and he was praying to God. And under his feet, he noticed a feather. <laughs> Not until I went to Durban, South Africa, and told the testimony of what God was doing, he wept and broke, and he realized that Psalm 91 was being fulfilled in his most dire moment. He then had a revelation that God was always with him. Now, his daughter came out of that coma, but God was reassuring him with a sign. Wow. That's... They're actually everywhere. We just don't know how to recognize some of them. Amazing. Amazing. So, folks, what we learned today, we've learned that a reduced gospel is an impairment on the actual ability of the the body of Christ to engage heaven and heaven's resources are inherent. One of the man, Paul. Let, let, let me um put a put a phrase out there for you. I want to see how you handle this. Um, I tell Christians all the time. I believe that many believers are living far beneath inheritance. What do you think about that? I think that's right. I do think that's right. Because every heavenly, see, every blessing is yes and amen. Every blessing already is available. Every part of the inheritance is fully available. But it's got to be accessed and stewarded. And if you don't know that you can access it, you can't steward it. And so we're trying to steward a future age into this age. So we're living between the ages. But we're trying to live from a future age, from the paradigm of this present age. And that's what we do with a reduced gospel. We read it down into the realities of this present age instead of lifting it up into the age to come that it can come forward through faith, expectation, and overcoming and pursuit. Because Jesus clearly says in Matthew 7, he says, keep knocking, keep asking. He, he has a wonderful promise in Matthew 6. He says, if you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness... He'll add to us everything the world is going after. Wow. That's what he says. And then he says something curious. He says, hey, if you wholeheartedly, I'm paraphrasing, mm -hmm. if you wholeheartedly keep asking, keep knocking, keep pursuing into that which you know exists within the kingdom, you can't lay hold of a bank, anything in a bank account if you think you're broke. If you don't know you're a millionaire, you'll never go to the bank to make a withdrawal. Wow. Wow. I mean, and that's so true. That's what I'm saying. You know, and, and when I when I release this upcoming book, Higher Dimensions, Parallel Dimensions, and the Spirit Realm, I have this book uh, sitting on my computer. I'm going to release it in the next couple months. Uh, 
you know, one, one of the chapters I talk about my heavenly experience where I had visions of heaven. Uh, God showed me all kinds of things up there. One of them were the storehouses. And I've said this before on my program. The storehouses in heaven have all of the things that have been allocated to our calling before we walked it out. So anytime I'm walking in accordance with what God is calling me to do on earth, I can make a withdrawal from those things which have already been assigned to me because we are walking in the works which were prepared beforehand. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. Works that were prepared beforehand. And that's the picture right there. We don't know that they were We were trained that they're not. As a matter of fact, Paul, some Christians are trained to think that God's not going to do anything unless they convince him this is what he should do. He was convinced in Jesus. Oh. Wow. That's the point. That's the very point. Jesus said to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, he said, unless your righteousness surpasses. So he says says to us, sorry, about the Pharisees, unless your righteousness, your zadika, he's actually talking about your financial giving, <laughs> exceeds that of the Pharisees. You can't enter the kingdom. It's, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mystery saying. What he's really saying is your, right, your own righteousness will never get you in to earn anything from God. It is given because God loves you. Because he's called you. He'll provide for you. Let me take you right back to the very beginning. God provided for everything, for humanity, and then placed Adam in a garden of provision Mm. to steward that provision, to cause it to coincide with his commission so that commissioning and the provision went together to then establish the kingdom over the whole earth. He was to work the ground. He was to work with what God gave, not what he could get. He was to work from God's provision, not for God's provision. So it is true in Christ. We work from God's provision, not for his provision. Therefore, we've got to know the provision exists. Why? Because God is faithful to Jesus. This has been wonderful. Um, Folks, (laughs) the, the, the truth is, what we're talking about, this is equipping and empowerment for you. It, the, you know, the reason why we talk about things like the kingdom on this program is because I want you, as my listeners, to get equipped. Uh, that's the whole call of the fivefold ministry. Uh, I've given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints. That, that's, that, that's what Paul's here to do. That, that's what I'm here to do. You know, when your philosophy on life gets aligned with God's, that in and of itself is equipping because it opens up your ability to 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 work with God the way he wants to work with you and not get in his way or your own way, <laughs> which which a lot of Christians do. You know, it, it, it's like we, we teach ourselves and train ourselves out of faith, out of kingdom out of even, you know, the freedom to enjoy relationship with God. And then we wonder why the devil gets the upper hand on us, even though we have been given the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you know, part of getting victory 
includes changing our mindsets, renewing our minds to the truth of God's kingdom. The uh, unreduced gospel, if you will. I, I, I love it. I love it. I love it. Or the fullness of the gospel. Amen. Paul, do you have any closing thoughts that you want to leave our audience with? I, I, I just want to read uh, just from Luke chapter, um, I think it's 18, chapter 16, no, chapter 17, sorry. Um, God's kingdom realm within you. This is so important. Hmm. Jesus was once asked by the Jewish religious leaders, when will the kingdom realm of God come? And I'm reading from the Passion Translation. Jesus responded and told them, the kingdom realm of God does not come simply by obeying principles or by waiting for signs. The kingdom realm is not discovered in one place or another, for the kingdom of God is already within some of you. Our salvation brings us into a reality that is so different from this world. We've been used to living in the world. And we translate a lot of scripture through a world paradigm instead of a kingdom paradigm. But if we're going to be men and women of the kingdom, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts, teach us, show us that thoughts and the mind of Christ together collectively, and then start to redirect our thinking to the reality that's within us. Jesus said something really, really important. He said to the Pharisees, he says, you've heard it said. In other words, this is what the law said, but I say this was the fundamental shift from living by the external world of laws to the internal world of the spirit. The internal world of the spirit frames up a completely new inner world view. And as that changes, you will be transformed. You will see the world differently. You will no longer be locked to the external programming, if you will, or the, the principles of the world. You will live by higher principles, higher thoughts, greater potential. And Paul says this as, as a thought to the church. He says, no longer live in the futility of the thinking you once did. In other words, how you frame up your inner world by getting close to God, drawing near because you have permission to, to break off shame, to break off anything that separates, knowing that's not true anymore. It's not true of God. You can fully come to the throne of grace. You can fully enter his presence and you can live from that reality today, even while the kingdom is breaking in to a world that is yet to come. Hmm. Well, that about says it, folks. Uh, our special guest, Paul Cothill uh, is the senior pastor of Gateway Church in um, Adelaide, Australia. So if you're listening and you are somewhere near Adelaide, Australia, why don't you drop in and say hi? Uh, you can check out their website at uh, gatewaychurch.org.au. Uh, Paul, your uh, our conversation today has been very inspiring. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on this program to share with us. I mean, your stories about how God broke in with signs and wonders. I mean, the gold dust, the gems, the feathers, incredible, incredible. And, um, you know, I, I, I just want to thank you so much for being a servant of the Lord, for being obedient to the call he's put on your life and for continuing to carry that torch and uh, being a shining light for people um, in your position of leadership. That's That's really awesome. Thank you so much, Daniel. Appreciate it so much. All right. Folks, this has been Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. God bless. 
and Godspeed. Discovering the Truth with Dan DeVall is the premier radio program designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program has been a production of Bride Ministries. You can find us at www.bridemovement.com At our website, you can contact us, access resources, and support us with donations. We need partners in order to continue to produce our vision, which is to promote unity in the body of Christ worldwide and assist in the creation and development of sheep nations. Partner with us and be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Until next time, God bless and Godspeed. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.